Let's continue in worship by going to our God in prayer. Our souls find rest only in you, O Lord our God. We thank you for gathering us here this evening for worship. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you know each of us, each of our stories, where each of our hearts and our minds are this evening. Thank you for bringing us to this place to be with one another and to sing, to pray, and to hear your word. Lord, we lift up this coming week uh, with the weather. Lord, we pray for safety in our city and in our state as we deal with freezing rain and all the different things that come with that. Lord, we remember those who uh, experience homelessness. God, we pray for the ministries in town that support and care for them, that you would use your people to be uh, vessels and helpers uh, in a trying time. Thank you, God, for the start of a spring semester. Thank you that we are all beginning to settle into our rhythms for this season. And we pray for those who are grieving loss of loved ones. We pray for those for whom transition is difficult and they are still having a hard time finding their pace. God, we pray for grace for them, that you would meet them in their need. And we pray for all of our community who may be having a hard time uh, with roommates or friendships, familial relationships. God, we pray for your grace and that you would give them the courage that they need to be able to have difficult conversations, to show up, to be present. And Lord, we lift up our KHVR Res Life community. Thank you for that dorm and the community that's there. We pray, God, that they would be a people who, by their actions and their words, would show the love of Christ to one another and to the rest of the community. And thank you, Lord, that you have created us for rest. Thank you that you rested. Thank you for your invitation to us to receive the good gift of Sabbath. And as we turn our hearts and our minds to hear and receive your word, God, I pray that you would... Speak to us by your spirit in a way that each of us can receive and to hear this invitation to Sabbath as being for us. May we have the willingness and uh, the grace and the wisdom and surrender to receive this good gift. So we pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen. All right, so tonight we are talking about Sabbath, and that's the study that we're doing this semester. And so we're going to start talking about Sabbath, and it's going to set us up for the rest of uh, all the way to spring break and a little bit beyond. Um, we'll be talking about the seven deadly sins. And what does Sabbath have to do with the seven deadly sins? You'll see. Just wait. Just wait. Um, but for tonight, we're going to look at a passage from Matthew, chapter 12. So I invite you to open your Bibles to page 793. So 793. And while you have your Bibles open there, you're getting there, let me read you the Old Testament lesson. This is from Exodus, chapter 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your town. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. And now, Matthew 12, reading verses 1 through 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to Jesus, Look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and ate the bread of their presence, which was not lawful for him or his companions to eat only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He left that place and entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked Jesus, Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Suppose one of you has only one sheep, and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. So let's get to know the characters we have here in this story. First of all, we have the disciples. We don't know what they've been up to so far on this Sabbath morning, but we know whatever it is, it has made them hungry. And we also need to remember that the disciples were in their late teens, probably, maybe a couple of them early 20s, so they were essentially a youth group. (laughs) And if you have ever had a youth group over to your house, or if you've ever attempted to feed a youth group, you know that these are hungry people. It's just how they're wired. I mean, how hungry do you have to be to look at a wheat field and go, oh, like, there's like nothing there. You have to work to get the kernel, and then you got to chew it. I mean, how hungry do you have to be to think that that looks appetizing? A little snack. So you got the disciples, the hungry disciples. Then you have the Pharisees. Now, one scholar that I read this week pointed out that there actually weren't that many Pharisees in Galilee where this story took place. But because Jesus by this time had aroused suspicion... There had most likely been some Pharisees like appointed to tag him, to stalk him, to see what he was up to. And so they follow along. And it's at this moment they're able to go, ah, 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 they're doing, uh, uh-uh, bad. Because that's their whole mission. Now, the Pharisees get a bad rap in Scripture and in this story And it may be helpful to understand where they come from. Where does this stuff come from in them? Well, way back generations before, when Israel had been taken captive into exile, they lost their temple, 
They lost their holy city of Jerusalem. They lost all the cultic practices of sacrifice and the priesthood. And all they had left of their religion was the Word, the Torah, the Scriptures. And so there were people who said, look, this exile thing is bad. We do not want this to happen to us again. So we are going to devote ourselves to learning Scripture by heart. And they memorized the entire Old Testament. This was part of the practice of what they did. Jesus and the disciples most likely memorized for sure the Torah. Jesus probably had the whole thing down. Some of the disciples, you know, maybe not so much. But they internalized Scripture. The other big value the exiles had was to keep Sabbath. Because if you read through the prophets, one of the reasons God gives for why he sent them into exile was that they broke the Sabbath. And so they said, we are not going to break the Sabbath anymore. We are going to keep the Sabbath. In fact, we are going to protect the Sabbath. We're not going to even get close to breaking the Sabbath. You see, in the Torah, there are only two specific things that are forbidden on the Sabbath. The gathering of sticks and the kindling of fire. Those are the specific things. And then, of course, as we read from Exodus 20, work, which is not defined. Just work. God's like, figure it out. If, if it's something you do for money and you don't really like to do that, work. Work. That's work. So, this group, the exiles and those who descended after them, developed an additional 38 rules to fence off the Sabbath rules. So you didn't even get close to breaking Sabbath because you had all these rules protecting it. And one of those rules involved picking grain and getting the husks off the grain and blowing the chaff away from the grain and then eating the grain. Like, there were specific rules about what to do with grain. These were not the rules of the Torah, these were the added rules of the Pharisees that came later. So, the Pharisees have drifted a bit from their original reason, although there still is this deep fear that's at root in them that if they don't keep track of what everybody is doing on the Sabbath, if they don't get this exactly right, they will be in trouble one more time. Now, over the generations, that deteriorates and it becomes this obsessive, compulsive need to monitor everybody's Sabbath practices. So you've got the hungry disciples. You've got the Pharisees. You have Jesus. And it's Jesus whom the Pharisees talk to. They're like, hey, 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 you're the rabbi here. You're in charge of these guys, right? Like, do you see what they're doing? And Jesus gives some really interesting comebacks here. The first one is actually pretty weak. In fact, scholars read this, and it's intentionally like a really weak thing to build up to the stronger things. First thing, he's like, well, David was hungry too, and he ate the showbread. Now, any Pharisee worth his salt is going to be like, um, you are not David. David was starving. Those were desperate times. It's a Sabbath in a wheat field. You are not desperate. 
This does not count. Bad comparison. He goes on. Well, you've read in the law. And notice both times he says, you have read. When he's talking to the people, he usually says, you have heard it said. So he's talking to people who have read, who know, who have internalized the law. You know, you've read that the priests desecrate the Sabbath all the time, but they're guiltless because of the temple. They're doing it in the presence of the Lord. They're doing it for the good of the community. Now he's up the game. He's talking about the temple. He's talking about the priesthood. And then he says this thing that feels like a non sequitur. It feels like What does this have to do with anything? He says, but if you understood this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have accused the guiltless. What? What does that have to do with anything that's happening right now? Well, that is a line from Hosea, a line from one of the prophets who had taught about mercy. And on Sabbath... If you saw someone who was hungry, what were you supposed to do? Wild guess. What were you supposed to do? Feed them. Yes. You got it. Right? Yes. Feed them. You don't even have Hosea memorized and you know that. So Jesus is saying to them, my disciples are guiltless. You know who's not guiltless? You. I've got 12 hungry boys here. What's your move? So, we move from the wheat fields to the synagogue. By this time, the Pharisees are already angry. The disciples, still hungry. Jesus, riled up. They go into the synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand who happens to be there. And the Pharisees say, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? Because they had rules about this too. If it was a life or death matter, yes, you could intervene. If it wasn't life or death, had to wait. How quickly is the bleed? Is he bleeding a lot? Is he going to bleed out? Like, do we have 12 hours? What are we dealing with here? Like, that's, that's how they would assess the situation. Now, a man with a withered hand, not a life or death situation. Really? Or is it? A man with a withered hand was probably not going to get married. He wasn't allowed in the temple. He probably couldn't tend his own inheritance. He probably wasn't hired to help anybody manage their inheritance. He had probably known many hungry days. So Jesus looks at him, and he looks at the people, and he says, look, You got one sheep. One sheep. That sheep, that one sheep you have falls into a well. Are you not on the Sabbath going to get it out? And now he's in the synagogue, so he's got everybody around, and all these farmers are like, well, yeah, I'm going to get that. If I have one sheep, I'm going to get it out of Yeah. Yeah. It's like a no-brainer. So he says to them, is not a human being more priceless than if you had only one sheep? Most people did not have one sheep. They had lots of sheep. He's saying this person standing here is more priceless than a sheep. So yes, stretch out your hand, he says to him, because it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, Jesus is trying to show the Pharisees here that the Sabbath 
It's about doing good. The Sabbath is about mercy. Notice that Jesus does not go and roof somebody's house on the Sabbath. He does not say to James and John, hey guys, let's go fishing on the Sabbath. All the things that they did the other six days, he didn't do. His work on the Sabbath was about restoration. It was about renewal. It was a glimpse of things to come. Every time Jesus acts on the Sabbath, it is a fast forward to the new heavens and the new earth when people will be healed. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees, as we see from the last verse that we read, are still stuck. They don't like this at all. They don't like where this is headed. They are not fans of this guy. They see this whole thing going down the tubes. They're mad. They're stuck. They are so concerned with what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is thinking that they cannot receive the gift of Sabbath. Let me say that again. They are so concerned with what everybody else is doing and what everybody else is thinking that they cannot receive the gift of Sabbath. Can you imagine a people that was so concerned with what everybody else was doing and what everybody else was thinking that they could not receive the gift of Sabbath? Can you imagine a population that messed up? Yes. Our problem is not that we are obsessed with Sabbath-keeping. Our problem is that we are so obsessed with what we do the other six days that we can't stop. We live in this culture of achievement, of drive, of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. These are the things that are celebrated in our culture. In fact, a few years ago, there was a commercial that kind of captured this. Noah, fire it up for us, would you please? Why do we work so hard? For what? For this? For stuff? Other countries, they work. They just go home, they stop by the cafe, they take August off. Off. Why aren't you like that? Why aren't we like that? Because we're crazy, driven, hardworking believers, that's why. Those other countries think we're nuts. Whatever. With the right brothers and saints, America. <laughs> Does that just make you want to go home and take a shower, that commercial? There's this, this drive. I mean, the, the commercial airs, and there are, we're supposed to be like, yeah, that's us. That's who we are. We drive hard. Vacations are for wimps. Go hard or go home. Play big. Work big. Come on. Let's go, team. 
right? It was a Super Bowl commercial. That's what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to kind of, this is who we are, America, American football, Ugh. right? That's, that's the whole thing. And if this isn't you, well, then you are just a wimp. You are weak. You, why? I mean, like, move to Canada. What is wrong with you? Right? That's, that's the thing. Like, if I were European, I'd be super offended. Like, those Europeans, they take August off. Like, what's that about? They stroll home. They go to the cafe. What is that? You know, part of me is like, oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> but that's the drive. That's the culture we swim in. And even if you're not an American, you are currently in that culture. I am sorry. This is who we are. This is what we do. And even if we try to fight against it, this is the water we swim in all the time. And this isn't just an American problem. This is a Calvin problem. This is us. I mean, instead of the, the Cadillac, if you put up, like, you know, your honors diploma or that little medley thing you get when you graduate with honors, or if you put up, like, internship credits or, you know, how we walk around and say, like, I only got four hours of sleep last night. I'm totally running on Red Bull today. Like, that's an achievement. Like, what is wrong with us? I mean, seriously, what is wrong right here, Calvin College, what is wrong with us? I had a, a colleague who came from a different institution, and during his first year here, he said to me, Mary, this place churns. And I thought, what a verb. <laughs> this place churns, right? It's churning. It's always moving. And we have this feeling like if we stop, like we're going to lose somehow. Do you feel like other people who have double majors are better than the people who just have one major? I mean, one major. Come on, America. <laughs> Do you feel like if you say, man, I got eight hours of sleep last night. I'm really feeling quite good. People are going to go, what, slacker? Well, first I have to go to um, speech pathology all morning, and then I've got a lab all afternoon, and then I'm working until 10. And so then I'll be doing homework until like 2.30 or 3. Um, and then I need to call my mom because she's in a different time zone. Um, and then I'll sleep, and then I'll get up at like 6. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. <laughs> Why do we say yes all the time. Look, you're fine, okay? Everybody's fine just the way you are. Everybody from now on, rest of the semester, say no. Hey, do you want to join my organization? No, I don't. No. <laughs> hey, do you want to be in dance? No, I don't want to do any of the dance. No, no, no. Except for greeting and coffee. You can say yes to those things. But well, why do we feel like, you know, I'm only in 22 extracurriculars. I don't think that's good enough for my resume. Like, what is wrong with us? <laughs> that's the churning sound. <laughs> but we just churn all the time. I I have this. Some of you know that, that Monday is my Sabbath day. And it starts at about 10.02 on Sunday nights. And I go home and I make mashed potatoes, which is the comfort food of champions. And I watch a sitcom and I sleep. But on Mondays, I get up and I'm like, 
after I like sleep in a bit. But then it's like, I have to really like, restrain myself from doing things because I'm like so amped, like I have to accomplish something. This day is a failure if I do not accomplish anything. What shall I accomplish? I shall accomplish the laundry, right? And I, I struggle with this. I'm with you in this. I got my own stuff. I'm not dealing with extracurriculars anymore in the way that you are, but I have my own extracurriculars. It's like, what is going on? This, this is our thing, and we got to figure this out, guys. Because if, if, if we did the stuff that the commercial asks us to do, and Americans were known as being really healthy and balanced and joy-filled, and if all the other countries were like, oh, we love it when the Americans visit. They're so great. Then I'd be like, okay, we're fine. Keep going. But you know what we're known, at, known for across the world? Being obese and obnoxious. These are not the, cult, the things we want to cultivate. This is not what we're going for. So the American values have been, become our values because they're kind of the higher education values. They're the achievement values. And then you kind of baptize them with like, well, God's given me all these gifts. I have to use all of them at the same time every day. And it just becomes an idol. So for the Pharisees, they were afraid that if they messed up, they would go back into exile. And that fear was the underlying foundation of what they did. If we want to figure out our resistance to Sabbath, a good question to ask is what are we afraid of? What are you afraid of? If you take a whole day off from doing homework, what are you afraid of? That you'll get behind? That you'll have a 3.82 rather than a 3.87? That other people will look down on you? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid that after you actually stop for a while, that God's going to bring stuff up that you would rather push down? What are you afraid of? And what idol do you use to keep that fear at bay? Dallas Willard was once asked, what's the best things I can do for spiritual formation? If I really want to become a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, like what should I do? Like tell me all the things I should do. And he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And the person asking the question was like, great, got that written down. What's the next thing? <laughs> and he said, that's the thing. Ruthlessly Eliminate hurry from your life. On Monday, we had a panel up here for regathering, and each person was talking about Sabbath. And the student, Carly, I asked her, like, what got you started practicing Sabbath? And she said, well, a year and a half ago, I was with my mentor, 
and we were talking about my life, which was kind of frenzied. I was going 24-7 and working a lot and doing studies. And my mentor said to me, are you practicing Sabbath at all? And I laughed at her. I was like, no, I can't practice Sabbath. i got to pay tuition. I've got bills. I've got schoolwork. I can't take a day off. That is not an option for me. And the question that stopped Carly in her tracks was when her mentor said to her, how much do you trust God? How much do you trust God? And Carly was like, oh, man. She said, okay, I'll do it the rest of the semester. And much to her amazement, she felt better. She slept better. And money came from unexpected places. She was provided for. And it was such a powerful experience for her that she's still doing it to this day, where she sets everything aside and just rests in the Lord. How much do you trust God? How much do we trust God? That is a great corporate question. How much do we trust God? What would it look like if we, as a community, actually started to believe some of the things we talk about? If you're doing the study, you'll know we're, we're focusing on four things for Sabbath. Ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. Ceasing, stopping work, resting, actually resting, Embracing, moving toward relationships with God and for other people, making time for friends. Feasting. Feasting. We had a speaker here a few years ago, and she said, Monday through Saturday, I eat the plain malto meal, but on Sundays, I eat the chocolate malto meal. (laughs) In my mind, not so much a feast, but it worked for her. Find your feast. Ceasing, resting, embracing Feasting, ceasing, resting, embracing, feasting. Did I say that right? Okay. And it's important to know that Sabbath is supposed to be communal. It's supposed to be, we all do this together, team Sabbath. In fact, if you look at one of the commentators on Exodus 20, which is uh, the Heidelberg Catechism takes and look at every commandment, this is what it says about the fourth commandment. What is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? Here's the answer. First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, Let the Lord work in me through his spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Now it's this, no, I'll keep that second part up and we're going to go back. It's that line there, rest from my evil ways, that's going to shape the rest of what we talk about this spring. That we're going to rest from these evil ways. We're going to rest from sin. What does that look like? What does this mean to rest from greed or gluttony or anger? And we'll find what, We're going to do some diagnostic tests to figure out, like, I don't think I have a problem with anger at all. And then we'll do some diagnostics, and we'll find we all do. So that'll be fun. Um, 
how do we rest from our evil ways? We'll be looking at that. And now go back. No, we'll go back a slide. Look at these things. So first it said, festive assembly, gather with God's people. Now look at every one of these things is communal. You learn what God's word teaches together. You participate in the sacraments together. You pray to God publicly together. You bring Christian offerings for the poor together. This is supposed to be done together. Sabbath is communal. So here's your question. What are you going to do differently with your little community, however it is shaped? Your roommates, your friend group, your team, your ensemble, your apartment, your house? What Sabbath practices can you do with other people so that you can try some things and be held accountable and enjoy it together? And I mean this, if you come up with something, you're like, hey, we tried this and it worked, would you let us know? You can email any one of the chaplains or just send a general email campusministries at calvin.edu. Or you could put it on uh, social media and use the hashtag Sabbath or hashtag Calvin Sabbath. But really, we need to figure this out. And if you leave here and you say, I'm going to quit the following things, mm-mm-mm, I'd be like, awesome. Pray first, but yes. How do we communally say we're going to live differently because the way we're living is making us obese and obnoxious? Obesity spiritually comes from being self-indulgent and not tending to ourselves. And this obnoxiousness also is just a selfishness that I matter more than other people matter. And I have to prove that again and again and again. You could take it down, Noah, thanks. So what are you going to do differently? How are you going to look different on Easter Sunday than you do right now? How are you going to feel different on Easter Sunday than you do right now? How are we going to be different on Easter Sunday than we are right now? Because Jesus wants to give us the gift of Sabbath. He wants to pour his mercy on us. This is what he does. He wants to go towards Sabbath and restore us and renew us. There's this great line he says when he's uh, healed a woman who's been bent over for 18 years. And he gets in trouble and the people are mad at him. And he says, should not this woman be released from bondage on the Sabbath? Released from bondage on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to release us from the bondage of homework and pressure and the achievement culture that we swim in. He wants to restore us and renew us and extend mercy to us. That's the gift of Sabbath. It's like a snow day every week. It's no coincidence that his most powerful work of mercy started on a Friday as people went into Sabbath. And that on that Saturday, on that Sabbath, he was doing things that we do not to this day understand so that we can be supplied with mercy and grace. 
And we gather on Sundays, and most people celebrate Sabbath on Sundays as followers of Jesus Christ because it was on Sunday morning that he rose again. And the idea of restoration and new life and the new heavens and the new earth took on a totally different meaning. Jesus wants to resurrect us. He knows that the habits we are having will lead us to death, and he wants to lead us to life. Jesus wants to lead Calvin College to life. He wants to lead your dorm to life. He wants to lead your apartment to life. What does that look like? How do we prayerfully attend to that? Lord, what do we say yes to? What do we say no to? Lead us to life. That's the gift of Sabbath. That our Jesus wants to restore our withered souls. That our Jesus wants to lift us out of the pit of self-destruction. That our Jesus is calling us out of the tomb. That's Sabbath. You pray with me. Jesus, we are so grateful that you do merciful work and particularly on the Sabbath, and you long to speak to our hearts. You long to celebrate with us. Forgive us. Forgive us when we get distracted, when we can't stop, when our coping mechanisms just make us unhealthy, when we say yes because of our ego, Forgive us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you prompt us in our conversations tonight as we walk back to the dorm or as we go downstairs. Prompt us to talk about the things that matter. Prompt us to talk about what we can say no to, what we can say yes to. Help us to find our Sabbath buddies. And most of all, Holy Spirit, we pray that you Kindle in us a deeper trust. Help us to trust you with our time, with our money, with our energy, with our whole selves. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.